The scripture reading today is John 10, 121. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's uh, so good to see some new faces this morning, and we warmly welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Before we consider this uh, great passage, let's just bow our heads and we'll ask for the Lord's help. God, our Father, as we come now under the authority of your word, we pray that we would hear the voice of the shepherd. Lead us by still waters. Restore our souls, we ask our Father, for the glory and in the powerful name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we're continuing in our study of John's Gospel, and we find ourselves in the center section, which, as we've commented before, takes us from about chapter 5 to chapter 12, where the Lord Jesus is revealing himself to the crowds. And this is really a section of scripture that is a series of debates. And the debates center around who is the Lord Jesus and where did he come from? And in telling the people plainly who he is, Jesus, the Lord Jesus applies to himself that title of God, I am. I am. And Twice in this passage, we, we get, we get uh, two more I am statements. 
I am the door, and I am the good shepherd. Well, this 10th chapter is perhaps one of the most familiar uh, passages in John's gospel. And this picture we get of the good shepherd is one that we uh, immediately relate to, if perhaps sometimes in somewhat of a superficial way. Uh, But for us to grasp, I think, the full significance We have to consider this passage both in its biblical and its historical context. And this will help us to understand what Jesus is saying. And I trust it will open our hearts to what the Spirit of God would have for us in this passage. And that's how I like to use, with the Lord's help, the next 30 minutes or so, is to look at the passage in those three ways. First of all, to consider its context, and then to look at its meaning, and finally, to make three brief applications uh, at the close. So that's how we'll look at this passage together. Let's start then with the context. First thing that we have to notice is that the context for this passage is really the previous chapter. Most of the previous chapter is taken up with the Jewish teachers and their attempts to turn a man against the one who had restored his sight. But in the end, the man turns from them and he worships Jesus. In the last three verses of the previous chapter, John 9, Jesus comments on this paradox, and I want to connect those last three verses of the previous chapter with the first verse of our chapter, uh, and I want to read those together. So reading from verse 39 in chapter 9, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So Jesus is charging the Jewish leaders with being thieves and robbers because of their efforts to turn this man away from himself the good shepherd. They were thieves and robbers, for they had seen the works that Jesus did, works that bore witness that he was from God, and that gave evidence to the fact that he was the rightful owner of the sheep. And yet they were trying to steal his sheep away. They had no care for the man that was born blind. They had come to steal, to kill, and to destroy Had they not seen Jesus' works, and I think that's the point here, had they not seen his works, they would not have been guilty of trying to lead this man astray by their false testimony. But having seen his works and having set themselves up as teachers, as those who see, they were most guilty. I think you get that same thought in the 15th chapter in verse 24. If you had not Jesus says, if, you had not, um, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. 
So there is a particular guilt that attaches itself to those who are in positions of authority and use that authority to lead others astray. Now, God's anger towards the false shepherds in Israel and his promise to rescue his scattered sheep is not a new concept for the Jewish leaders. It is throughout the Old Testament. And so they would have been familiar with the references. I'll read a couple of them. First in Jeremiah 23, it says in the first verse, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them and I will bring them back to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. And then there's another reference we could look at in Ezekiel 34. I won't read it all, but starting from verse 2. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. And then down in verse 11, where thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. So the concept was not new to the Jewish leaders, but the application to themselves as the false teachers, and Jesus is the good shepherd rescuing the sheep from their clutches, well, that was something, as you can imagine, that they did not want to hear. But there is something else in chapter 9 that's very important to us in order to really understand. We have to see it in order to really understand chapter 10, and it's this. In spite of the efforts of these false teachers to lead this man away, that man was not fooled. And though he knew very little about Jesus, he knew that Jesus had healed him and nothing they could say or threaten could pressure him into denying this. The Jews finally became so incensed by this man's unwavering witness of Jesus' work in his life that they cast him out of the synagogue. And when Jesus found the man... He revealed himself to him, and the man believes, and he worships. And so now in chapter 10, Jesus explains for all who are observing this drama how a blind man can recognize him while the seeing cannot. And he does this by way of two great metaphors. He says, I am the door, and I am the good shepherd. Now, to properly understand what the Lord Jesus meant by these metaphors, we need to understand what they would have meant to the people that lived at that time and in that culture. These people would have known something about the way shepherds care for sheep at that time. So they would have known that 
Jesus is referring in this passage to two types of fools. First, there was a fool that you would find in a village. And it was when the, the shepherds came back, they would bring their sheep into, into the village and there would be a courtyard. So probably better to think of this as a courtyard. And that courtyard would have stone walls about six or six and a half feet high all around it. And there would be a door in this courtyard and that's where the sheep would be kept. And there would have been a door in that uh, courtyard and there would have been a porter um, that was monitoring access to that door. That's the fold that is being spoken of in verses 1 to 6. So for simplicity, let's, and to keep us from confusing it with the other fold, let's call it a courtyard. So in the morning, the sheep would be anxious to get out to pasture. And so the shepherd would come to the door and the porter would recognize the shepherd And the shepherd would come into the fold, and amazingly back then, all those sheep had individual names. And the shepherd would call the sheep by their name, and the the sheep would hear and recognize the voice of the shepherd, and he would lead them out, and he would go before them. Now, if someone climbed over the wall, instead of using the door, it it would have been to avoid detection. Because their intent was evil, and such a person you would consider to be a thief and a robber. Now, sheep are pretty dumb animals. But one thing about sheep is that they know and recognize the voice of the shepherd. But if a stranger were to call them, no matter how badly, how anxious they wanted to get out, they would not listen or follow a stranger. And that is what is being referred to in verses 1 to 6. But then in verses 7 to 9, there's a different kind of fool being referred to. This is not a fool in the village. It's not a courtyard in the village, but rather it's a fool out in the open wilderness. It's a, a fool that's constructed with stones and uh, thorns over the top to keep wild beasts out. And in the summer months the shepherds would take the sheep out to pasture and they might have to go some distance. And so they would be out overnight, maybe for several nights, and they would be out with their sheep at night. That's, of course, where the angels that announced the birth of the Lord Jesus found the shepherds. You'll recall that story. Now, when the shepherds kept these sheep out, away from the villages, out in the pasture, um, they would use such a fold to keep the sheep safe from wild animals. Now, unlike the courtyard in the village, there was no porter who was monitoring access to this. There was not even a door in this fold. So once the sheep had all gone inside, the shepherd himself lay down across the threshold of that opening, and nothing got in without going through the shepherd. So what we have here is a metaphor, in this metaphor, is a shepherd entering the door of the courtyard, calling his sheep out, going before them, leading them out to pasture, and then putting them safely in this fold. And once they're all in, lying down across the the threshold, and uh, nothing gets in except through the shepherd. So that gives us, we have there both the scriptural and the historical context of these metaphors. So with that context, let's look at the second thing. Let's look at the meaning. 
And I want us to stick close to the scripture, so stay with me as we try to understand how the Lord is using this metaphor in order to speak to these people and explain to them the phenomenon that they had just observed in chapter 9. And I want to read again from verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. This, then, was the work that Jesus was doing. He had come to his own just as a shepherd would come to his sheep. The sheep are in the courtyard, which is the house of Israel, but the house of Israel had been corrupted. False shepherds had come in over the wall with the intent to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But the Lord Jesus, who is the true owner of the sheep, comes to take his sheep out and to bring them into another fold where they will be safe and secure. He came by the door. What does that mean? He came by the door doing the works of God that proved that he was from God. He was the true owner of the sheep, for God had given him the sheep. But others had already gotten into the courtyard. Thieves and robbers had climbed over the wall. They did not come through the door with the seal of God's approval by works that manifested that they were from God. Instead, they came in their own authority with a desire, as we've said, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That was the condition of Israel when Jesus came to her. False shepherds were among the sheep. And so in chapter 9, there is a showdown between the false shepherds who had come to steal, kill, and destroy, and the true shepherd who had come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And, you know, much of chapter 9 is taken up with the false shepherds trying to discredit the true shepherd. And this man born blind has to choose who was true and who was false. So how was he to do that? How did he do that? Well, very simply, he he, he chose the one that came through the door. He chose the one that came through the door, the one that did the works of God. And that was why the man didn't follow the stranger or the hired hand or the thieves and robbers. And in this chapter, we run into, or in the ninth chapter, we run into all three. Who are the strangers spoken of in verse 5? A stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Well, I might suggest that those were his neighbors. They didn't even believe that he was who he said he was. And so they were, he was a stranger to them, and they became strangers to him. He wouldn't follow them. Who were the hired hands? Spoken of in verses 12 to 13, the ones that would flee as soon as the wolf came. Well, perhaps his parents, who fled the moment they faced the threat of excommunication by the Jewish leaders. So his parents were like the hired hands. They cared nothing for the sheep. He wouldn't follow them. And we've already commented that the Jews who sought to take him away from the true shepherd, were like the thieves and robbers, and he wouldn't follow them. So how did this simple man discern the voice of the shepherd through all this? Well, the answer is 
that he just kept on declaring the works that Jesus did, the work that Jesus did, a work that proved who he was. Four times in chapter 9, he refers to the work of Jesus. Verse 11, the man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go wash, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Verse 15, he put mud on my eyes, I washed and I see. Verse 25, one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Verse 30, you do not know where he came from, and yet he opened my eyes? They questioned him with many words, but Jesus only spoke seven words. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. But Jesus' words were found to be true. And in the power of those words, he resisted every deception. And what was the result? Well, the result was, first, they abandoned him, and second, they cast him out. And now, outside of that community of Israel, they imagine him to be in peril, and themselves to be safe. But who is safe in the courtyard when there are thieves and robbers? who have snuck over the wall and who seek to steal, kill, and destroy. And into whose path did they cast him? But into another cast out, the good shepherd, whose voice he had heard, but upon whom now he looked for the first time. And you know, it makes me think, what would have happened if he had never been born blind? What if he had never been abandoned? What if he'd never been cast out? And it makes me think that God uses these trials just as he used this trial in this man's life to draw us to himself. This is the good shepherd's work to lead his true sheep from the courtyards where thieves and robbers lurk and lead them to another fold and this is where we see the second metaphor which relates to the fold in the wilderness. Verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, the only way into that fold that's being spoken of here is by the door. And as we've already said, the door is the good shepherd. He lays himself down across the threshold of that door like the shepherds of that time and no, nobody gets through but by him. There are no imposters in that fold. And in verse 11 we see the intense love of the good shepherd for the sheep for he lays down his life for the sheep. Not like the hired hand who runs at the first sign of danger. And in verse 14, we read that he knows the sheep and they know him. And look how he describes the way in which he knows the sheep. Look at that at verse 14. Look at how he describes the way in which he knows the sheep. Do you see it? As the Father knows me and I know the Father. Really? Think about the intimacy in the relationship between the Father and the Son. Think of the love of the Father for the Son and the love of the Son for the Father. And it is this relationship that is used to describe the way in which the shepherd knows the sheep. 
It's no wonder that later in the chapter, he asserts, I give them, speaking of the sheep, eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Do you fear that your repeated failures will result in God altering you out? Then you need to read and you need to reread those verses. None that enter this fold are ever cast out. The Father will never reject the Son. That is how sure they can be that the Father will never reject them. And then in verse 16 we see that it's not only from the courtyard of the house of Israel that the good shepherd is bringing sheep, for there are other courtyards equally corrupt and dangerous. And the good shepherd has sheep that are there as well. And he brings them out and then into the same fold so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. Well, what are these courtyards being spoken of? Well, I think these are the courtyards of the Samaritans and the Gentiles. And here the Lord reminds his disciples that he didn't only come for the house of Israel, but he came for all the nations of the earth. But his sheep must be led out. There was no salvation in the house of the Jews, merely because they were children of Abraham. And there's no salvation in in the house of the Samaritans, even though they might claim Jacob as their father, as the woman at the well did. And there's certainly no salvation in the household of the Gentiles, who were strangers and aliens without hope and without God in this world. Each had to come in the same way that the blind man did. The Son of Man must come to them in their helpless and blind state and give them light. They must recognize the voice of the true shepherd, and follow him. They all had to pass through the same door. And remember, the door was the shepherd himself. And the only way, the only way into that fold is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Lord Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so here we see the infinite love of the good shepherd for the sheep. But there is even a greater motive than the shepherd's love for the sheep that caused the Lord Jesus to lay down his life. Do you see it in verse 17 and 18? Look at verse 17 and 18. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Now, like a good shepherd, the Lord Jesus would lay down his life for the sheep. But unlike a shepherd who may be overcome by a lion or a bear and thus lose his life as a victim on behalf of the sheep, Jesus lays his life down by his own authority. Jesus is not seen as a victim in John's gospel, but rather as the Son of God who has power to lay down his life and power to take it again. And there's a couple of other examples that we could look at in John's gospel. You recall that um, when Jesus was in the garden and they were looking for him, and he said, I am, and they went back and fell on their faces as he showed the power of his glory to them. 
And then when Pilate spoke of having the power to crucify Jesus, Jesus said, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. So not only did the Lord Jesus lay down his life for the sheep, but he did it willingly, not as a victim, but as one who would honor the Father at any cost and as the good shepherd who would willingly lay down his life for his sheep. What love and what grace. So we've talked about the context and we've talked about the meaning of this passage. Now what I want to do before we close is just make three short applications. The first is this. It is through the difficulties and disappointments of life that the Lord leads us to life and life more abundantly. It is through the difficulties and the disappointments of life that the Lord leads us to life and life more abundantly. We commented earlier that there was three things in the life of this man born blind that could have been considered tragic. He was born blind, he was abandoned, and he was excommunicated. But it is through these tragic events that the good shepherd leads him into the fold. In his blindness, he hears the voice of the good shepherd. In his abandonment, he distinguishes between the voices of the false shepherds and the voice of the true shepherd. And in being cast out, he is cast into the very path of the good shepherd who said, I am the door. By me, if any man enters in, he will be saved. And I think this is so precious this morning, you know, because there are so many of us here that are chafing under circumstances that are not of our own making. Are, are facing, many here that are facing a loneliness and abandonment. Many that are facing rejection by family and by peers and by professional associations. You could call that a form of excommunication. You know, speaking of excommunication, I was reading something this week, uh, and I, and I want to read it to you, and it was on uh, excommunication. It's, it's from um, uh, a book called Manners and Customs by Freeman and, and Chadwick, and I quote, According to the Talmud, there were three grades of excommunication among the Jews. The first was called Nidin. And those on whom it was pronounced were not permitted for 30 days to have any communication with any person unless, get this, at a distance of over four cubits, about six feet. (laughs) The second was called Chiram and was pronounced on those who remained openly disobedient, disobedient under the first. The offender was formally cursed and was excluded... Sorry, the the offender was formally cursed and excluded from all communication with other people and was prohibited from entering the temple or synagogue. These were severe punishments, but they have become a way of life and they wear you down. And they're all under the guise of care. But these things can cause us to long for the voice of the shepherd and enable us to distinguish his voice from the cruel voices of false shepherds. These cruel tactics of the enemy have a way of drawing us into a deeper and a more intimate relationship with the good shepherd. So what is grieving you this morning? 
What is grieving you this morning? Will you allow the Lord to use that thing to draw you to himself? In the abandonment of friends and family and neighbors, is the Lord leading you to a place of safety and security where he will make you lie down in green pastures, lead you by still waters, and assure you of his presence even in the valley of the shadow of death? Well, the second application I want to make is this, is that danger distinguishes good shepherds from false shepherds. Danger distinguishes good shepherds from false shepherds. You know how you can tell the difference between a good shepherd and a hired hand? It's simple. Just look who runs when the wolf comes. A hired hand is maybe someone that's in it for the money, for the attention, or the applause. Look who runs when the wolf comes, or when the work isn't glamorous. Watch who loses interest. None of us will ever shepherd like the good shepherd, like the great shepherd. But if our efforts don't at least resemble his in the way that we know the sheep and his way with the sheep, then can we really be called shepherds at all? And brothers and sisters, if we have the heart of the great shepherd, then it will be manifest in our knowing one another and our willingness to lay down our lives for one another. Well, here's the last application I want to make. We avoid deception and despair by declaring the works of Jesus. We avoid deception and despair by declaring the works of Jesus. Faced with the deceptive tactics of the enemy, the man in John 9 just kept on repeating the work of the Lord Jesus. Now, is this a clue for us from the Lord this morning as to how we are to resist the attacks of the enemy? And how we are to endure in times of discouragement and disappointment? And is it not our failure to do so that leads us to despair? Do you remember when John the Baptist had been cast into prison? And perhaps it was at a moment of weakness and discouragement, which you can understand that man who loved the open spaces in the wilderness confined to prison. He sends his disciples to the Lord Jesus with this question. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And do you remember how the Lord Jesus responded to him in Matthew 11? He says, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended. By me. The Lord helps John through his discouragement by reciting his works and in so doing teaches us the key to overcoming discouragement and despair. And as you and I face the attacks of the enemy to tempt us away from confidence in the Lord Jesus, what we need to do is to repeat his marvelous works, works that we have heard in Scripture works that you have seen him do in your life and in the lives of others. And what happens when we do? I want to read you this amazing verse, the amazing few verses in Malachi 3. Malachi 
prophesied at a very discouraging, a very depressing time in the history of Israel. But listen to what he says um, in chapter 3. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him. For those who fear the Lord, who meditate on his name, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between righteous, between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So the people in Malachi's time, they lived, it was discouraging, but they got together with one another and they meditated on his name. They got together and they meditated on his name. And look what happened. The Lord listened and heard. The Lord called them his own and reminded them how precious they were in his sight, like jewels. And the Lord spared them. And listen to this. The Lord enabled them to discern between the righteous and the wicked. So it is in speaking of him together, in meditating together on his marvelous works, that we learn to recognize his voice. And we are preserved and we are refreshed, and we are strengthened. Now, if you'll allow me, brothers and sisters, I want to put a fine point on this. Those of us who fear the Lord need to be doing what they did in Malachi's time, no matter what the cultural moment is. Speaking to one another and meditating upon his name, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. Could it be that the source of your fear and confusion is that you lack the peace and discernment that comes from meditating with others upon his name? Get involved in a small group if you're not already. Why aren't you involved in a small group? Why why don't you come back to your small group and speak often one to another, and meditate on his name. Here's the bottom line. People who are meeting are being blessed. And people that are not are becoming disconnected and fearful and are at risk of falling away. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. And this morning, amidst all the voices that are creating fear and confusion in your mind, the voice of the shepherd calls your name. He calls you out. He goes before you and will lead you safely to the fold. There's already a great company that are gathered there who have come in by the door and found life and found life abundantly. Let the world abandon you. Let them cast you out. Let them. They'll only cast you into the arms of the great shepherd who will bring you safely home. And for those of us that have already come into that fold... The great shepherd invites us to his table and gives us a sweet foretaste of what it will be when we are all together in the Father's house forevermore. For in these symbols of his body and blood, he reminds us that we are his and he is ours and that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's come to the Lord's table together.